you guys doing? Good. Good to see you. It's great to be with you. I'm always blessed and honored to have the opportunity. Um, we're in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 28. My name is Aaron, and there might be someone sitting next to you going, he's the pastor's son right now. Yes, it's true. The rumors are true. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 through 28. It's where we're at. You know, I'd like to open up by talking to you about one of my personal heroes. You're probably thinking, oh, it's Jesus, right? Yeah, he's my personal hero, number one. But I've got a few others uh, that are more human. And um, there's a guy named Jim Henson. Any Jim Henson fans in the room? Yeah, man, I just grew up being inspired and touched by his work. I mean, Sesame Street was amazing. Learned about numbers and letters and cookies, and it was great. And then The Muppet Show was just fantastic. Number one show in the world at one point. And um, just incredible work from Jim Henson. He's, he was a remarkable man because he had a way of bringing a real sense of warmth and compassion and joy into his characters and work. And, you know, seriously, whenever Jim performed uh, Rainbow Connection, Kermit would sing it. Like, I, I still, it triggers something. And I tear up whenever I see it. I know I'm a freak. Um, but, uh, you know, his friends and co workers called Jim a man with infectious joy. He was known for never belittling employees or team members, and he always led his people with positivity. He treated them like a family. Um, he's been someone that I strive to emulate in the way that I lead my youth and my uh, adult volunteers in my ministry. And, uh, you know, he's this guy who's known for being very humble. Uh, he had a million ideas of his own, but he was always willing to listen and implement the ideas of others. And there was the times where the studio janitor would come up to Jim and give him ideas, and Jim would just sit there with a notepad and he'd go, oh yeah, yeah, that's great, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how he talked. Uh, he literally, he was Kermit. Uh, and he would listen to the janitor's idea and write them down and say, I'm going to use that. Um, you may not know this, but Jim actually grew up Christian. He grew up in the church. Um, and I think it's clear you can see, you know, while he wasn't very public with his faith, it bled into his work. And at the age of 53, Jim died from organ failure, uh, from an infection. And he left his family and his staff and the multitudes of people that he influenced heartbroken. In fact, there's, you can find his memorial service. Watch it. It's like two hours long, worth it. Uh, I've watched it like 10 times and I cry every time. It's it's very emotional. Um, He left behind a legacy and he also left behind letters to his wife and kids. And they're full of his love and warmth and wisdom. And I'd like to read you a small section from the end of one of his letters to his children. He says, first of all, don't feel bad that I'm gone. While I will miss spending time with each of you, I'm sure it will be an interesting time for me, and I look forward to seeing all of you when you come over here. To each of you, I send my love. If on this side of life I'm able to watch over and help you out, know that I will. If I can't, I'm sure I can at least be waiting for you when you come over to this side. This may sound silly to some of you guys, but hey, what the heck, I'm gone, and who can argue with me? Life is meant to be fun and joyous and fulfilling. May each of yours be that. Having each of you as a child of mine has certainly been one of the good things in my life. Know that I've loved each of you with an eternal bottomless love, a love that has nothing to do with each other, for I feel my love for each of you has been total and all-encompassing. Please watch out for each other and love and forgive everybody. It's a good life. Enjoy it. And as we uh, start this message today, I just want to get in the mindset of just a letter from dad. You know, just imagine, you know, uh, you know, we're sitting in the living room and, you know, I'm your younger brother and I ran in with an envelope and I'm like, hey, we got a letter from dad. Let's sit down and let's read through it. Because this letter uh, to the Thessalonians, it's written by Paul, who was a spiritual father to this church in Thessalonica. And, uh, you know, the Bible is written by God. He uses humans to write it, but it's, it's written by the father to all of his children. This is for all of us. So I want you just to understand this is a letter from dad. And we're just going to sit back and absorb. There's a lot of things said in this passage. We're just going to absorb it all. I believe the spirit has different things to say to different people in the room. So open your hearts to what he would say. Would, Would you pray with me? Lord, I just ask that you'd come here and that your spirit would be with us. Lord, I believe, uh, just like Jim said to his children, that you want to teach us to watch out for one another, to love everyone, to forgive each other, and to care for one another. So I pray today you would burn these things into our heart and that we'd receive the word from you. In your name, amen. So let's see the first thing that our father has to say. Verse 12, um, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if I didn't say it. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. 
So the first thing our father is saying is honor leaders. And what he's not saying is, you know, oh, treat your pastor like a celebrity. Um, he, he's not addressing any specific church office. We, sometimes we hear leaders and, you know, pastors will just say like, oh, it's talking about us. Give us money. Um, what he's talking about is not, you know, pastors or deacons or elders. He's actually talking about all of us. He says, recognize those who labor among you, those who are over you, and those who encourage you. That's, that's everybody. Uh, you know, I've had many people along, who, who've served alongside me. In my time in youth ministry, I started doing youth ministry when I was 15 years old, started volunteering in junior high ministry. I did children's ministry before that. And, you know, I've had so many people who labored among me, down in the trenches of ministry. You know, I've had people who were over me, leaders over me. I still do. I've had some amazing pastors and teachers and counselors. Uh, there was a guy named Dan Brown who worked here, who taught me how to roll a, a vacuum cord and, you know, when I was doing janitor work. And, you know, Steve Henschel, I couldn't ask for just a more gracious and amazing and wise and just like, just... He's, he's like as wise as Solomon. He's a great boss. I love working with him. Um, you know, there's been people who've encouraged me, Sunday school teachers. Some of you guys here may have been my Sunday school teacher at one point. Uh, you know, I've always had people telling me, hey, when you were two, I was your Sunday school teacher. And I'm like, I don't remember anything you told me, but it's not because you weren't a good teacher. It's just because I was two, but thank you. Um, I've had counselors. I've had older folks in the church who've encouraged me. I've had people my own age. I've had younger people who've encouraged me. People in the body who come alongside one another. And so I'd like to honor what this verse says today. So if, if you've served in the body in any way, as a leader, a teacher in any way, Sunday school teacher, small group teacher, uh, counselor, uh, volunteer, worship leader, someone who's discipled others, a missionary, a small group home fellowship leader, a, a cook, a parking lot guy, a kitchen volunteer, if you've served this church in any way, can you just raise your hand really quick? Yeah, let's, let's have a round of applause for these guys. Thank you so much. It's awesome. It's... It's such a joy to be surrounded by people who love the kingdom of God. You know, it was interesting. Last year when I went to New Zealand for the first time, I met a girl named Michaela. And Michaela was passionate for Jesus. She wanted to come and serve here in the youth group. And she told me, you know, Aaron, when I was in youth group, when I was in my own youth group, she went to a different church. She said, I was the worst kid there. I knew the truth about Jesus, but I was so apathetic. I didn't care. And my youth pastor and his wife tried so hard to reach out to me. They poured into me. They encouraged me. They spent time with me. But I just pushed them away because I didn't want accountability. I didn't want any in my life who would tell me how it is, and, and I just wanted to do my own thing. So even though they poured into me, I pushed them away. And, and she said, you know, a few years ago, I was living this life of sin, and something just snapped. The Holy Spirit got a hold of me, and everything changed. And she said, all the things my pastor and his wife and, and the counselors just came flooding back to me, and I knew I had to surrender my life to Christ. And she did. She was an amazing volunteer, um, one of the best we've had. And, you know, I told her after the conversation, I was like, you know, Michaela, as a youth pastor, I understand the pain that your pastor went through. When you pour into somebody just for years and years and years and they just don't give you anything back or any indication that they're growing and they push you away. Uh, some of you parents know exactly what's that, what that's like. You've poured into your kids. You've loved them. You've ministered to them and you feel like you're just not getting anything back. You know what I told her? I said, Michaela, you ought to write them a letter. You ought to sit down and just tell them how much you appreciate what they've done in your life. You ought to thank them. They would appreciate, like, trust me, I know, they would appreciate that so much to know how you're doing and to know that they made a difference. And I want to encourage you today, if you're here and you've ever lived in rebellion at any point, let the people who stuck with you during those times know how thankful you are. Give them a phone call. Give them a text message. Give them an email. Even if it was 60 years ago that you were walking in rebellion, um, you know, let that person know. Let them know how much you're thankful esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Let's see, what does our father say in the letter next? Well, he says, be at peace with one another. You know, from the day we are born, we make war with one another because we're born into the world screaming. And I know a lot of young parents who told me, yeah, it's not peaceful to have a newborn baby. My life is not peaceful. It's like constant screaming. And, you know, as we grow, we learn to be selfish. You know, we've got kids smacking each other on the playground because they don't want to share their toys. And, you know, as adults, oftentimes we don't really grow out of that. That's why our father calls us to be different. Our father calls us to be like him. He says, hey, hey, we're different. We're the people of peace. Life is filled with situations that can turn into fights. Maybe you got into a fight on the way to church today, driving. Know, know this, Jesus wants us to be different. He wants us to be a people of peace. How do we do that? 
Well, it, it takes following in our Father's footsteps. It takes looking at Jesus, who esteemed himself as lower than others. He said, you know what? I'm going to look at others. Yeah, even those who would spit on me and crucify me and rip out my beard, I'm going to esteem them higher than myself. I'm going to look out for their interest over my own interest, and I'm going to die on the cross for them. That's, that's the God. That's the Father we serve. And he has given every single one of us the ability to do these things. You know, there's nothing worse than Christians fighting. I love to talk about faith and theology and like wrestle through like difficult issues. Anyone else with me? Or am I just a freak? Okay, I guess there's a few other freaks in the room. That's awesome. Um, You know, I've always enjoyed loving God with my mind and like really thinking through issues. And I found that through healthy discussion, even with people that I disagree with, I can grow in my faith. I can go into a situation and agree to disagree, but I've left sharpened. And now I'm thinking about some things that I wouldn't have thought of before. You know, I remember being in this group discussion on Facebook once and everyone knows, you know, Facebook is the best place to have like civil, respectful, amazing conversations, right? It's just fantastic. Everyone's so polite and not passive-aggressive, and it's just amazing. You know, one of my friends was uh, talking in this group of guys, and he was wrestling through this issue of Christianity and violence, and he was deeply convicted by Jesus' command to love enemies. And the discussion, you know, took this turn to the age-old question of, you know, well, what should you do as someone breaks into your house and tries to attack your family? And my friends, you know, he said, I certainly feel the need to defend my family, But he also felt compelled by God to pray for the courage to try to stop an attacker in a way that's non-lethal, in a way that wouldn't kill them. And his desire was that his heart posture would always be one of loving his enemies, not hating them, and even leading his enemies to Jesus as possible. So this is the guy who wants to like do some kung fu on the guy, knock him out, and then in the ambulance, like lead him to Christ, which I thought was pretty cool. He was even willing to learn some self-defense techniques and purchase defense weapons that were non-lethal. And, you know, I don't know how you feel about that or what your stance is. It's not the point I'm trying to make. The issue that I saw that was very sad to me was, you know, there were some, some people in the conversation, you know, who they, they disagreed and they were really respectful and we were having this great dialogue. But there's a couple guys in there who were just so angry and it turned into this weird political issue and everyone got fired up. And there was one guy who just started mocking him. And he, he said, this is what he said. He said, well, and, you know, he's a Christian guy, but he says, you know what, I just hope, you know, when, uh, you know, attacker comes in your wife and slits your wife's throat and murders your children in front of you, that you're prepared to take him in the other room and have a nice little Bible study with him, LOL. And when I read that, my heart just broke. Because it's like, I see where you're coming from. You disagree, but man, that's not the way to follow Jesus. When we disagree with one another so much that we're just so mean and vindictive. You know, the body of Christ is huge, and there's many different denominations, and even in our own church, we're going to deal with people we disagree with. And listen, we must be willing to love each other through disagreements, and I think we need to hear that right now because it's election season. Anyone had some awkward, hard conversations lately with anybody? Yeah, are you with me? Like, it's, it's hard. It's, and, and, you know, are you struggling right now with feeling like the Christians in your life that you disagree with are fools because they don't share your beliefs? Listen, guys, if we can't even be at peace with one another, how are we going to show the lost world what the peace of Christ looks like? If we're bickering and fighting in our own family of Christ, how are we going to shine that light? If this is your struggle, pray today. Pray to be at peace with everyone. What does our Father say next? There's a lot of stuff here, so we're just moving fast. Verse 14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, and uphold the weak. Be patient with all. First, he says, warn the unruly. And when I hear the word unruly, I think of like a library and like shushing you for like being unruly in the library. Listen, that's not what he's talking about. It's not talking about, you know, kicking the rowdy teenagers off your lawn. He's talking in the Greek, um, the word he uses for unruly is ataktos, which is a word that's been related to a soldier who has left his post, who has abandoned the orders of his commanding officers and went off to do his own thing. I don't know if any of you guys heard the fascinating story of uh, Bo Bergdahl back in 2009. He's this soldier who disagreed with his commanding officer so much that he deserted his post, went off walking out in the desert, and he got captured by the Taliban. It was a prisoner, and now he's back home, but he's been labeled a traitor by the U.S. military, and, and they're, they're trying to settle his whole thing and figure out what really happened. You know, the point that I'm making here is when we see someone acting like Bo, when we see someone who's deserting their post, and I'm not talking about an actual military position, I'm talking about we are soldiers for the Lord. You know, I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Like, yeah, it's, it's real. <laughs> like, we are called to serve a king. We're called to fight and our weapon is the weapon of love and the goal of the mission is to see people saved. We are fighters for the kingdom of God. And and you know what? So many times we see people who are called to live and serve for Christ, but they're backsliding and they're falling away. Do you know anyone in your life who used to be strong with Jesus, but now they're drifting? 
You know, we're always in danger of drifting. And for me, if I'm drifting, I want someone to warn me. We need to warn our brothers. We need to say, hey, don't lose sight of the mission. Get back on the narrow path. Follow Jesus. Wake up, O sleeper. One of our biggest problems in the church is honesty because we have an unwillingness to confront people in love. Anyone struggle with confrontation? Anyone hate it? I hate it too. Like, ah, it's, it's terrible. Uh, you know what? So many times though, our brothers or sister is about to fall into a pit because they've taken their eyes off the light. And we let them, because for us, it's easier to let them fall and pray for them from a distance than to do the hard work of getting up in their face and loving them up close. It's hard to love them enough to say something because it can ruin friendships. It can drive them away. This can cause them to be mean to us because they don't like the conviction. Maybe you've dealt with this. Maybe you've confronted someone in love, not in meanness, just like, hey, I love you and I want you to walk with Jesus and I see these lie, I see these things in your life that are tearing you apart from him and maybe they've said, I don't want you in my life anymore and they've blocked you on social media and they said, don't call me and you know, don't even talk to me and I don't want to see you at Christmas and Thanksgiving. Maybe you've dealt with this. I know I have. We have to remember when we're faced with this difficulty, we're the body of Christ. It's not about being a Lone Ranger Christian. We're to support one another. When my arm gets infected, my feet and my brain and my mouth and my other arm, we work together to get me to the doctor and to tell the doctor what's wrong. We have to watch out for one another. If there's people in your life who are struggling with that today, man, I just need to tell them something from the Lord. Not to get in their face and say, you're a terrible person, repent, repent, repent. But just to tell them in love, there's something in your life that because I love you, I see this is hurting you. Man, we need to be willing. The next thing our father says is comfort the faint-hearted. And you know, in this broken world, we can become faint-hearted. That means to be tired and worn out, lacking courage, full of fear. I remember meeting someone who was faint of heart. One time uh, I was at Albertsons. I don't get mad, like, People will tell you, like, I can get, like, annoyed, but I don't get mad. Um, I don't get road rage. You know, someone cuts me off on the road, and I'm just like, well, they obviously have some place to be. Lord bless you, brother. Like, that's, that's me. I'm a freak. Um, you know, uh, I, I get mad at machines. Like, when technology breaks down, that's when I start, like, throwing things. Um, so if the robots ever take over, like, come and get me, and I'll defeat them. Um, <laughs> anyway, though, I'm at Albertsons. And um, I'm very angry because I'm late for youth group. Normally it doesn't make me mad, but I get a call from my dad. And he says, Aaron, you got a speeding ticket. Uh, this speeding ticket, or not speeding, it was a red light camera. And I'm going to a school to preach about Jesus. And I roll through one of those red lights. There's no one else on the road, no pedestrians. And just in the flesh, I'm like, Lord, how could you let this happen to me? Like, I was trying to serve you. I was going to speak for you. And Lord, this is injustice. Like, why, why, why? And, and, and I broke the law. I got what I deserved. That's the reality. But in the time, I didn't, I didn't want to accept it. And so I'm just angry. And, you know, my dad's like, hey, this says if you don't pay this ticket, like in two days, like it's going to be like another 500 bucks. So I'm just like angry. I'm going through the aisle and I'm like, ah, oh, Oreos, Nabisco, uh, graham cracker. Like I'm getting the supplies for youth. And I'm just angry. And um, I step outside and I see this girl crying on the side. And, and, and she works there. She's got the Albertsons apron on and, she, and she's got mascara streaming down her face and just sad. And, and the Lord touches my heart and says, Give her some encouragement. And I'm like, no, I've got my own problems. Like, I don't want to deal with her right now. Just totally being Jonah, running away from the Lord wants me to do. And the Lord just convicts me. He's like, no, you have to do this. I'm like, fine. And I go up to her and I'm like, hey, listen. She looks up and she's like, what? And, you know, she's crying. And I'm like, like, you don't know me, but the Lord loves you. And he's got a plan for you. And I know you're having a bad day. Me too. But check it out. Like, God's got a plan. You're his daughter and you're precious to him. She stands up, gives me a huge hug, just starts bawling. And she says, like, I've, I'm a Christian. I haven't been to church or seen any other Christians in months. I've been praying for God to send someone to encourage me. Thank you so much. And yeah, don't clap for me. I didn't want to do it. Um, <laughs> clap for the Lord. I love all these stories because I'm like the villain in everyone. And uh, it's just proof of what the Lord can do despite our flesh. Anyway, this experience opened my eyes because there are so many around us who are faint at heart. And then maybe they're not showing it to us in the outside. You know, maybe they're not walking around, you know, in sackcloth and ashes. But on the inside, a lot of people around us are hurting. Are we sensitive to the spirit towards these fainted hearted people? Are we asking the Lord to show us who around me is hurting? Who is faint of heart? Who needs a word of encouragement? Ask the Lord today, maybe out in the courtyard, out in the street, who does God have for you to encourage today? You know, he says, he says, uphold the weak. 
And the word he uses for weak is defined in the Greek as the infirm, the sick, or those with a lack of resources. You know, one time I'm sitting at home, Saturday morning, I'm in 10th grade, I got my pajamas on, I'm eating cereal, I'm watching cartoons. It was like epic time to be alive, back when the WB was still a channel. And um, I'm just watching cartoons, and, and lo and behold, I hear a knock on my door, and my parents say, it's for you, and I come downstairs, and it's Brian Barrett. And if you don't know Brian, Brian was like the ultimate counselor here. Like, he served in every ministry for like the longest time, amazing guy. Just, he was one of the first people I remember influencing me, like, this is what a Christian really looks like. And he shows up, and he says, hey, let's go. I'm like, where? I'm in my pajamas. Like, I'm watching TV. He says, let's go, man. So I get in the car. He drives me to a convalescent home, and we spend the afternoon just loving on these people, these, these infirm, old, just people who, who, you know, have, there's people with mental issues, like, just couldn't take care of themselves. We just, he got his guitar. We sang worship songs. We told him about Jesus. Like, it was amazing. As a 10th grader, not how I would have chosen to spend my afternoon, but by the time it was over, I was like, this is amazing. Like, wow, the joy of the Lord that comes upon you when you live your life for him. But you know what? Our culture doesn't put a value on upholding the weak. Our culture is about looking up for number one, survival of the fittest, and we see a culture that throws people away. We're a culture that aborts our children because we don't want responsibility for them, and a culture that shoves our parents into nursing homes for the exact same reason. If you look at the stats of war veterans who are homeless and on the street and not being taken care of, it's, it's atrocious. But listen, for us, we are not a call to be a part of this culture. Yes, we are in this culture, but we're not of this culture. We're different. We're a part of a heavenly culture and a heavenly kingdom. That's why in this politically confused world, I'm constantly reminding my fellow believers, rem- remember, we as a follower of Christ are a peculiar people. The Bible actually calls us a stranger in a foreign land. So that means whatever country you're a part of, when you start following Jesus, you're a stranger in your own land. It becomes foreign to you because now you're a part of the heavenly country. And this is so encouraging to know that no matter who becomes president in 2016, for us, we have a different leader. Jesus is king. He was king when he died on the cross. He was king before the world was even formed. And he'll be king this year and the next year and the next year until the end of time. He's our king. Amen? It's awesome. That's super encouraging for me this year. Just saying. Because listen, I mean, the governmental systems of our world continue to let us down, don't they? All the time. That's why when it comes to the weak, we need to take our cues, not from politics, but from Jesus. Take the issue of homelessness. You see, if you listen to some on one side of our worldly political kingdom system, when you deal with a homeless person, they'll look at them and they'll say, well, this is obviously the product of a broken system. We need to tax the rich and take all their money and give it to these homeless guys. But if you look at somebody who's on another far side of the issue, they'll say, you know what? Like, this isn't my problem. Like, he's just looking for a handout. Like, he needs to get a job. Like, look, this guy's a, you know, curse on society. But listen, for a follower of Jesus, we're different. When we encounter a homeless person, we say, this is a beautiful human being made in the image of my King Jesus. And the power of Christ compels me to love them. I am going to go buy them some food, sit down next to them. I'm going to ask them, what's your story? How'd you end up on the streets? I'm going to listen to them. And then I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Because if Jesus is King, that changes everything for how we conduct ourselves in this secular world. And it's going to be confusing to all who are a part of worldly systems. They're going to look at us and say, like, why, why aren't you doing things this way? Why aren't you doing it that way? You're, you're, you're doing things completely different. You're running in your own lane. Yeah, that's the point. We're Christians. We're a peculiar people. We're followers of Jesus. And we're going to look different to the world. We're called to be patient with all. Anyone here struggle with patience? Anybody? Okay, yeah, me too. Um, you know, I read some convicting words from my friend, Pastor Matthew Widman. He said, um, this is in a group on Facebook of young youth pastors. We get together all different denominations, Methodists, Baptists, Lutherans. It's, 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 really in, it's really incredible for me to be able to fellowship with people from different denominations and learn from them. And we were asking, um, what is the elephant in the room? That was the question of the day. Like, when it comes to church, what's the elephant in the room? The elephant in the room is a term that means, what is the big problem, like a big old elephant, that's in the room and everyone can see it, but no one wants to talk about it? This is what his response was. He said, the elephant in the room... It's when we as the church don't love the lost or those who were recently saved. Because after so many years, we forget how dirty and sinful we were before we came to Christ. We don't love and disciple those who are young in the Lord. We shake our heads on Sunday morning and we look at them and say, man, they make our church look bad with their bad attitude and bad language and dirtiness. You know, I wish they'd just leave. He said, that's the elephant in the room. And when I heard that, I was like, whoa, 
major conviction for me as a youth pastor. Because, you know, I've been so guilty of losing my patience with young believers because that's kind of my thing. I'm around young believers all the time. The Lord has been showing me the value in patience to look at someone and say, you know what, they're not done yet. And I can't sit here and expect them to be where I am because, you know, where I am, like there's other people who are way past me and who am I to think that I've arrived? I once was so young in the faith. I was once, I didn't understand the things I understand today and I'm still learning. And to look at someone and write them off because they're just fleshly and, and they're, they're a baby Christian. You know what? My dad always says this. He says, when you give people room to fail, you give them room to grow. I think that's great. And I, you know what? I want to challenge you, Calvary Vista, as a church, let's pray that God would just send us a flood of baby Christians, just, or even people who aren't saved who'd come here and meet Jesus. And now we get to take just the wealth of, of the spirit that we've been given to pour out on them. Let's pray that some of these empty chairs get filled up with people who just are so fresh and they don't know anything. And maybe you're talking to them in the courtyard and, and a swear word might slip out. And you're like, oh, I've got a case of the vapors, you know? Um, it's like, yes, we want these people here. We want people who are new to the faith because we want to pour into them. Verse 15, he says, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourself and for all. So he says, don't return evil for evil. Does anyone here like revenge movies? Anyone? I do. <laughs> Liam Neeson and Taken, right? Anybody? His daughter gets kidnapped and he's like, I don't know who you are, <laughs> but I have a very particular set of skills. I will find you and everyone you've talked to in the last 24 hours and I will kill you. <laughs> and it's just, you're watching it and you know, because it's not real and it's a movie, you're just like, yes, this is amazing. And it taps into like this inner sense of justice. Cause you're like, you know, bad guy does something bad. Good guy goes and gets him. And you know, often this inner sense of justice makes us want to go Liam Neeson style on people when they hurt us. You know, when someone comes against you and gossips you, it's like, I will find every person you talk to and I'll let them know what a jerk you are. And you just go after them. Uh, you know, you get all your friends on your side and it just becomes this gossip war. Or, or, you know, someone comes after one of your kids, you know, well, have you, have you ever had a kid come home from school? Mom, he hit me. And you're like, oh, I'm gonna, mama bear's coming. I will destroy you. Um, we have, we ha- listen, we have to remember that revenge has no place in the life of a Christian because the sin of your enemy was dealt with on the cross. We don't need to take action against those who wrong us because Jesus already took the ultimate action. It was the cross. And anytime someone does something to hurt us and that inward desire to hurt them back boils up, you know what we're doing? We're undermining his work on the cross. We're undermining it. And I think he would say to us, there's no need. I've already done it. There's no need. When we try to take revenge into our own hands, we're saying to Jesus, you know what? What you did on the cross wasn't enough. I've got to take this into my own hands. Listen to the simple words of Jesus in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was the law of the day. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, you turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your, your coat, you know, give, it your, give him your shirt too. And he says, anyone who compels you to go one mile, you grab his stuff and you walk too. You show him that love. He says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which is easy. Everyone loves their neighbor. Everyone hates their enemy. But he says, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You know, this came into play for us the other night. We're doing youth group at my house. We've got this sweet little house, this like lady uh, who's 102 years old. She's amazing. Um, she gave us just a great price on this just little rental house, great little backyard. And so that's, it's five minutes away from the church and we do every Wednesday night for the most part. We have the kids over and it's fantastic. We love it. But we've got this neighbor who, um, you know, it's, it's a private road to get up the hill to our house and he owns half the road. And so um, we've had issues because I don't know, you know, no offense to you guys because you know I love you guys, but I don't know if any of you guys have ever dealt with high school kids lacking wisdom. (laughs) You know, uh, we've got some kids who, you know, they've just gotten their license and, you know, like when you first get your license, you want to show people, you know, all the loud noises your car can make and all that stuff. So we've got people revving up their engines and going up the hill fast and stuff. Well, my neighbor 
hates that. He also hates when people pick up their kids instead of going all the way up to our house. Sometimes they'll get backed up and they'll, they'll like end up kind of doing the back out thing and they'll shine their lights in his window. So at this point, like he hates us. And he's told me a couple of times, like, like he, very angrily, very rudely, like, hey, like, you know, I'm going to kick you guys out. I'm going to get you out of here if you can't stop this. And, and so what I've done is, you know, I've apologized and I've told him, you know, I'm going to work on this. And so I've sent out messages to my parents and my kids and text messages and emails and just told people like, hey, we got to do better about this. So I thought we were doing good. I thought, I thought, the problem was over. But uh, last Wednesday night, we had a couple kids who went a little bit too fast. Well, what this guy did is he came out of his house just screaming. Just, and what he did was he took his car and he put it in the middle of the road sideways so that no one could get up. You know, just like, you shall not pass, was, you know? And uh, it, was, it was amazing. And, and, you know, he's just yelling and yelling and just angry at us. And me and my volunteers are down there and we're trying to talk to this guy and you know, we're, he's just yelling at us and, and, and it's cutting into our time with the kids. We're like 30 minutes past when we were supposed to start and you know, he's just yelling and yelling and just being very angry. He's calling us toddlers and children and saying we're irresponsible and all this stuff. And, you know, we were trying to talk to him and I was just apologizing and trying to be very like profusely apologetic. And he's just like, you don't mean that because it doesn't change. And I was just like, I'm, I'm working on it. And, and, um, you know, we left and, you know, the kids and the counselors were all kind of talking and everyone was just kind of like, you know, man, what's up with this guy? Like, he's, he's a jerk, you know, like, yeah, this guy's crazy. And me and, um, the guy who was teaching that night, one of my friends, Dylan, we were talking about it and we were just, you know, we were teaching a series on influence and we were like, man, we need to be a good influence right now. Like we need to show these kids what Jesus is like. So we got up and, and me and some of the other counselors were just sharing with the kids and we're like, hey, you know what? Like, sure, yeah, this guy was rude. Uh, th- this guy was totally out of line. But you know what? He does own this part of the road and these are his rules and we have disobeyed them. And so we need to own up to it. We need to be honest and, and admit our mistake. And we need to show this guy the love of Jesus by being just the best neighbors we can be to this guy. And what we did was we had the kids sit down and we had them all write apology notes um, to the guy. And I I'm going to give it to him as soon as I see him. I'm not going to, like, he gets mad if I, like, walk up to his door. So I'm going to wait till he's mowing his lawn. I'm going to find him. I'm going to give him the notes and just pray for him. But, you know, guys, we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. So that means we live differently. What else does our father say? He says, don't render evil for evil to anyone. He says, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. So he says, pursue what is good for you and for everybody. You know, it's pretty easy for us to pursue what's good for ourselves because nowadays, you know, I don't know if you've got the new upgrade on your phone, but there is actually a folder now in your photos called selfies, and it'll show you how many pictures of yourself you've taken. You know, how's my hair? How am I looking? How am I doing? You know, that's, you can see that. You can see how self-absorbed you are. And you know what? I'm a part of it. I admit, like, I'm a part of that culture as well. We're the selfie generation. From the moment we wake up, for most of us, it's, it's not, you know, we don't wake up, I don't know about you, I don't wake up thinking, how can I help the poor? Uh, you know, that's not my first thought in the morning. My first thought is like, oh, hungry. I gotta eat something. What do I look like? What's going on with me? What's my day? What's my schedule? We pursue what makes us happy. And you know, a huge problem, even in the church, I think, is our overemphasis on a personal, our personal relationship with Jesus. Now, don't hear me wrong. That's extremely important. You need your personal relationship with Jesus. But for many of us, that's, that's, that's what it stays as. It's just our personal thing. For many of us, Christianity revolves around Jesus saving us from our personal sins and then us going to church and hearing messages that they hope, you know, I hope this speaks to me personally where I'm at and then taking that faith personally and quietly and just keeping it to ourselves. Guys, the Holy Spirit is never described as an ice cube that you put in your pocket and it just affects your heart when it melts on you. It's described as a fire, fires, if, if you're doing it right, a fire spreads. It connects. It continues to burn. Have you ever told someone something is life-changing? Ice cream, you know? Like for me, like, I'm like oh, cookie dough ice cream, it's life-changing. It's amazing. Like literally, I gained so much weight. It changed my life. Um, <laughs> um, Star Wars, uh, what, what, uh, Force Awakens. Oh my goodness. That moment where the Millennium Falcon like goes up in the air and like she cuts the engine and it hangs there and shoots the guy. Like, oh my goodness. Like me and the junior high pastor, Alex, we're sitting in the theater and we're just like, this is everything we ever wanted. Life changed. <laughs> um, Sports, you know, I don't know if you're a sports person. I'm not. Uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, watching Michael Jordan, but when he quit, I did. So like the last, literally the last game I watched all the way through was when Michael Jordan played. Um, some of you guys are like, oh, <laughs> uh, I'm avoiding you. I'm never talking to you again. I'm sorry. It's just not my thing. Um, what about like essential oils? 
Anyone like all about that? It's changed your life. Okay. I was skeptical. I got uh, an ear infection and one of the people on my trip to New Zealand, they put some oregano on my ears and I was like, oh, what is this? Like witch doctor voodoo magic? I felt better. So can't deny it. Praise the Lord. It's awesome. But listen, if something has really changed our life and we have all these things that we're so willing to talk to people about, if something has really changed our life, it's meant to be shared. And we're so willing to talk to people about all these other things, but we forget Jesus. We ignore the command to not just look out for the good of ourselves, but to look out for the good of others. And really, what is, what is, what is better for others than Jesus? What can we give people that is better than Christ? We're not called to have a personal faith. We're called to follow a God who loves us personally, but also loves the world personally and wants us to love the world personally too. For some reason, it's so hard to share the gospel. I don't know why I can talk to a stranger in line at the store about the new Marvel movie that came out and just like have all these details and geek out. But when it comes to Jesus and and salvation, like the minute the Lord tells me to share it, like I I clamp up and I just get all like crammy and my stomach gets all weird. And I'm just like, ugh. And, And it's like, that's the defining thing about my life. That's who I am. I'm a Jesus follower. But why is it so hard to share? We have to though. We, we must share the gospel. I read about this missionary in India and this guy, um, he saw all these other missionaries coming to India and they were feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, healing the sick. But one thing was lacking. They weren't telling people about Jesus. And this just broke his heart. And he wrote this letter and he said, guys, our methods have to change. He said, don't stop the humanitarian work. That's awesome. We need that. Jesus fed people. Jesus healed people. That's great. But you need to give them the gospel. Because he said, this is what he told him. It was harsh words, but he said, without Christ, you've given them a fine robe and a warm meal for the journey, but the destination is still hell. That's super harsh, but it's true. And these words deeply convicted me as I was in New Zealand recently. You know, the Lord just, there were so many distractions for all of us on that trip. You know, we're trying to serve the Lord and there's just so many things and some of us were getting sick and and the Lord was just trying to keep us from what we were doing. And the Lord just kept reminding us, you know, this is why we're here. It's for the gospel. We need to take every opportunity we can to share. I remember I went to a skate park and uh, there was these little skate kids and they were trying to skate and jump off this ledge. And I was down there with uh, Jim Westby, Kelly West, some of the high school kids. And um, this little guy was trying to like skate up to a ledge and jump off it. And he kept getting scared. And he let out like a little New Zealand swear and, you know, just stopped and came back and tried again. And his, and I'm like praying, I'm like, Lord, like give us an opportunity, give us an opportunity. And this is what he, one of his friends is like a little 10 year old kid. And he says, I might, don't worry. You know, if you die, you'll go to heaven. Yeah, mate. If you die, you'll get a heaven. He said it like three times. Like the guy kept trying. He's like, hey, yeah, don't worry. If you die, you'll get a heaven. And the Lord's like, I'm giving you your opportunity. Take it. And so I turned to the kid and I'm like, hey, why do you say that? You know, and, and I'm totally being a phony at the skate park. I don't skate. Literally to try to blend in. I was like, what do I do? Uh, baseball cap? Backwards. Ah, oh, hey, kids, I'm just like you. I'm a skater. Um, totally faking it. Uh, but I'm just down there. And, and you know, I asked the kid, hey, why, why are you saying that? And he's all, I don't know. And I'm like, well, why do you, what do you think it takes to get to heaven? And the kid says, I don't know, being a good person. <clears throat> and I'm like, let me tell you about Jesus. And we shared the gospel and we were able to pray with three of those kids to receive Christ. It was awesome. And so much more happened on that trip. I mean, people came to the Lord. It was amazing. If you know anyone on that trip, stop and ask them, like, tell me a story from the trip because so many good stories. So what else does he say as we wrap this up? As the father Uh, told us in verse 16, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So he says, rejoice always. If anyone can say that it's Paul, the guy gets shipwrecked, stoned, thrown in prison. What does he do? Hey, let's have a worship service. I don't know if you've read that uh, in the book of Acts. He gets thrown in prison, him and Silas. And for me, if I'm in prison, I'm like, Lord, why would you do this to me? I just tried to serve you. Uh." Paul's like, let's sing songs of joy. And he worships and it's crazy. Like the chains break and earthquake happens and people are getting saved. Read the story story in Acts. It's, it's amazing. He says, pray without ceasing. So many times in my life, it's been pray when something bad happens. The other day, my wife, uh, being an amazing wife, she's always on top of things. Um, you know, she's always thinking of things I don't. And she says, you know, hey, babe, like I've been driving my car. You're going to drive it. Like, make sure you fill up the gas because it's pretty low. And I'm like, okay, thanks, babe. And then I totally disregard her advice. Well, I get on the 15, you know, that long stretch where like there's nowhere to turn around. And I realize 
I'm, I'm like way beyond empty. Like I didn't even check it. So I'm just driving and I'm like, I'm praying without ceasing. I'm like, Lord, please, like I'll serve you forever with my whole life. Like I'll give, I'll give up every sin. Like just Lord, help me get to the thing. And, and you know, so many times that's what we do. When, when trouble comes, when the trial comes, it's just like, we're just praying, Lord, save me. You know what? Our father just wants to talk to us. That's what he means when he says pray without ceasing. It's the father asking for a relationship. It doesn't mean you have to go and quit your job and go up to the mountains and find a prayer closet and get on your knees until they bleed in 24 hours. Just pray without ceasing. If you did that, God would be like, you know what? Stop talking to me. You're weird. Like go and go and get things back together. Um, What God is looking for is as we live our life and go through our day, that we take time to pray with him. And you can do that as you're driving, as you're walking, as you're at work and take time at home. Yes, take take time aside to spend with the Lord and talk to him because the Lord wants that relationship with you. He wants to talk with you. You know, I read a really cool definition of prayer. And it was the exchanging of human ideas and dreams for God's ideas and dreams. And I love that. We come to God and we're like, hey God, like what about this? And here's my dream. And he's like, that's great. Let me just tweak it a little bit. So much better. And we're like, yes. I I love that definition. He also says give thanks in everything. And that's hard. Because what happens when cancer comes? What happens when someone dies? I was just at a memorial service of a student whose father died. At just a young age. And it was so, like, just, he was such an amazing man. And it's just like, how do, you, how do you give thanks in that? Paul's not asking for an emotional response. He doesn't say give thanks for everything. He says give thanks in everything. It's a heart posture. It's where you can know in the bottom of your heart that no matter what you're going through, you know the end of the story. Jesus comes back. All things are restored. All wrongs are righted. The hope of heaven is in us. So when we're going through the hard times, it's not, you know, Lord, thank you for this hardship. Like, thank you for this terrible thing that happened. No, it's as you're going through the terrible thing, Lord, thank you for the cross. Lord, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your hope. Thank you for salvation. We have that hope. He says in verse 19, do not quench the spirit. You know, every Wednesday night, I quench the fire. Not like spiritually, like the kids are worshiping and I come out and I start banging pots. All right, time to go home. Get out of my house. That's, that's not what I do. Um, some of them actually stay very long sometimes and we love it actually. It's like, yes, like just fellowship time. But there's a fire. There's literally a fire pit in our backyard and every night I throw water on it. I extinguish the fire. And you know what? Satan is trying to do that all the time. Did I just relate myself to Satan in that story? I think I did. Um, But Satan is always trying to throw water on the fire that the Lord is starting in us. The ways that he does this is through pride, selfishness, and apathy. Some of you guys, the Lord has so much for you. He's even right now trying to stoke the fire of your heart. But if you've got any pride, you know, the original sin that made Satan fall, if you've got any pride, you're like, I don't need to hear this. This isn't for me. The Lord, I mean, the, the enemy's trying to quench the spirit. If you've got any selfishness, I don't want to do what God commands me to do because I'd rather live this way. And apathy, apathy is just where you don't care. If you're struggling with that today, take it to the Lord. Say, Lord, just help me not to quench the spirit with my flesh. Give me the spirit. He says in verse 20, do not despise prophecies. You know, we don't really struggle with that at Calvary Vista. Like, we love prophecy. We have, we have series about prophecy. But you know what? The definition of the word prophecy in the Bible, it's not always talking about future telling, where you, you know, sit down and, and you tell someone, you know, in, in these, this many days, the Lord says this will happen to you. Um, prophecy is primarily giving someone a word from the Lord, speaking the word of the Lord to someone else. I'll give you a clear example. Um, for me, I was at camp once. Jamie Urbina, the high school pastor, I was the junior high pastor. He invited me up to a camp and I said, you know, what do I do, Jamie? Like, what's my responsibility? And he said, just love on the kids. Just hang out with the kids. I was like, yes, so rad. So I was down there and I was just asking the Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said, just hang out. I'm like, okay. So I'm standing there and I'm just, in a, just praying. And I'm like, Lord, give me an opportunity. And I, the Lord speaks to my heart and says, go stand by that tree. I'm like, okay. So I go and stand by the tree. I'm just sitting there. Five minutes goes by, a group of three kids walk up. I start talking to the kids. And as I'm talking to them, the Lord just gives me like, hey, say this, just a little bit of encouragement. Now, it wasn't like, I am a prophet and I am here to tell you that in 30 days time, if you do not repent of this super specific, like that's, that's not what I was doing. It was just little words of encouragement that I felt like came from the Lord. 
I, can, I, I was doing this all day. I, I kid you not, I had so many people tell me that day, man, that was exactly what I needed to hear. Now that doesn't happen to me every day, but you know what? I want to be more open to it because the reality is prophecy is a spiritual gift. And we need to demystify it in the church, I think, because when we think of prophecy, we think of like long beards and robes and like Gandalf wizard staffs and standing on a mountain and yelling at people. Um, you know what? You can prophesy and you probably have recently. It's just whenever you allow the Lord to speak through you. If you don't believe me, check it out. It's biblical. We've been going through the book of Joel. Um, Joel was one of those crazy, like just awesome, amazing Old Testament prophets. And he was, in the Old Testament, you had a lot of guys who would speak a prophetic word about the current state of Israel or something in the future that was going to happen. So it's both, it's both ways. Um, this is what Joel says. He gives this future prophecy. In Joel chapter two, he gives a prophecy that's called the promise of the spirit. And this prophecy relates to us. He says in verse 28, it will come about after this in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit on that day. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about how in Israel's time back then, prophecy was something that no one could really do besides the prophets. He's saying one day, the spirit of the Lord is not going to be something that's just going to be in a temple behind a veil. One day, the veil will be torn and the spirit of God will fall on all the true believers. And so the spirit will be on us and the Lord will be able to speak through us. That prophecy is talking, it's talking about us. The day of Pentecost, when, when the spirit falls in the church of Acts, that's what started it. And now we have the spirit and you can simply in a very just normal way in the courtyard today, if God gives you a word, just a simple word of encouragement, you can prophesy. Isn't that amazing? It's rad. Yeah. So God's spirit is among his people. It's an accessible gift. You know what though? Sometimes what happens is someone comes to you with prophecy, a word from the Lord, but the problem is we're human. So sometimes our humanity gets in the message. Have you ever had a prophecy from someone? It's like someone just comes and like, hey, I've got a word from the Lord from you, but you like don't want to receive it because they were kind of rude about it. You ever had that happen? You know what? The verse says, do not despise prophecies. Hold fast to what is good. Reject what is evil. So, you know, when someone comes to you with a word and their humanity gets in the way, don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Chew up the meat and spit out the bones. You know what I mean? God's got a word from you sometimes and he can use an imperfect vessel to deliver it to you. It says, hold fast to what is good. I'm just gonna share with two quick stories, okay? So there, there's the passage to abstain from evil. Uh, I love the passage um, because it reminds me of a story of the other day I was in my house and uh, I was in the living room or my wife was in the living room. I'm in the office and I come into the living room and there's a snake, just a giant like 10 foot snake just sitting on her steps, just like, <laughs> like just evil, just satanic. And I'm, I, my response wasn't the most masculine. I wasn't like, hey, yeah, I'll grab a knife and stab it. Like this was my response. No, no. <laughs> and I, I yelled, I was like, I yelled to my wife. I'm like, get out of the house. And she like threw the laptop and ran in the bedroom and stood on the bed. I'm like, there's a snake. There's a snake. And she's freaking out. And I grab her and we run outside and, and I call my dad. I'm like, dad, what do I do? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I'm out of town. Call Jamie. He's a tough guy. And I'm like, thanks for implying I'm not. Um, and then, so I call Jamie. I'm like, Jamie, there's a snake in my boot. I'm in my house. I'm like, what do I do? And, and, and Jamie's like, oh shoot, man. I don't know. Get a broom and hit it. And I'm like, definitely not going to do that. I go back in the house and the snake is completely gone. I'm like, I am going to die. So I'm, I'm praying and I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And the Lord, you know, or not, not the Lord. Um, well, maybe, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and say it was him, but you know, something in me was like, go find your crazy neighbor, Danny. So I'm like, okay. So I go down the street and there's this guy named Danny and he's like motorcycle tattoo, big old chop mustache, like just hardcore guy. And I'm like, if there's anyone in my neighborhood who's a snake wrangler, it's this dude. So I grab him. I'm like, please save me. And he's all, oh, what you got, buddy? A little snake. Oh yeah, man. I got like 12 of those in my backyard in a cage, buddy. Let me go over there. And he grabs the snake. And he starts waving it in our face and my wife's freaking out and we're, it's terrible. This is just quick word, quick word, quick word. When sin, like a snake, slithers into our home, whether it's our heart or our own home and our family, are we that hardcore about getting rid of it? Are we like, no, no, that's bad. I've got to get it out. And, and when you're struggling and, and you feel like I did, like you can't handle the situation on your own, are you calling people and being open and transparent and saying, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you please help me? I need your help. Will you pray for me? Like, I just need, like, I need to repent. I need accountability. Like, are, are we that hardcore? Or are we just like, eh, it's just a little snake. Who cares? Snakes kill you. Okay, so final words. Final words. 
Paul says, uh, in verse 23, this is like his wrap up. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, body, and soul be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Such a great word. Who here is excited that the Lord is coming back? So excited. The Lord is returning. It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited to join him in heaven and just like, it's fantastic. Like with everything going on in the world, it's it's amazing. But you know what? Um, I I was... um, I was listening to my friend Jimmy Robeson uh, talk. Some of you guys remember Jimmy. He used to lead worship here. Um, we were down uh, leading uh, worship at a camp and doing some stuff. And um, I was talking to him, and he was just telling me about this story about how him and some friends were going on a flight to uh, Israel, which is like an 18-hour flight, just gnarly. And um, there was a guy on the trip, one of the pastors, who was like, hey, you know, um, we've got sleeping pills. We should take these to help us sleep on the plane because it's a long flight. Let's just take some of these and just zonk out. And um, as, the, as the worship leaders come back up to close this in a song, um, I'm just going to continue with the story. But um, uh, basically what happened with Jimmy was he was like, <laughs> it's really funny. He was telling me, the, there was a guy there who was telling them, hey, listen, don't take the pills before the plane takes off. Because if you fall asleep before the plane takes off, the flight could get canceled and then you're in trouble. Or you could fall asleep and then the plane starts taking off and all of a sudden like you're jolted awake and then you can't fall asleep. Well, one guy didn't listen to the advice. Everyone else waited. One guy was like, I'm just going to take all these sleeping pills now. He like conks out hard and the flight gets canceled. So now they're dragging him around the airport and he's like a drunk person, just like stumbling around like a, just, and and the story struck me because I was like, you know what? When it comes to like, the rapture, Jesus coming back. We believe in that. We believe the rapture. We believe Jesus is coming back. We believe that plane is taken off. There's no way the flight's getting canceled. It's happening. We just don't know the day or the hour. And you know what? I think a word from the Lord to us today would be, don't fall asleep before the plane takes off. Stay awake because you've got things to do. You've got people to love, people to serve, people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Lord wants to use you to do it. And the enemy's awake. He's prowling around like a lion, so we need to be awake too, watchful and ready. So let's serve Jesus today. Let's not just tune out and say, he's coming back, and I'm just I'm going to tune out and not be involved and not serve him. I'm, you know, I'm just waiting for him to come back. He's coming back, so let's serve him now because he gave us a job to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much just for your word and for who you are. And God, I pray that you would just help these things to sink into our hearts. Touch our hearts. Fill our hearts. Speak to us, Lord, in the secret place. So many things were said today. I pray, Lord, whatever you have for these guys, whatever specific thing you want them to walk away with today, I pray that it would just delve into their heart and make a home there. Seal your word into our hearts. We want to worship you today. We want to worship you now, Lord. So we just lift up our voices and we praise you for what you've done and for what you've shown us. In your name, amen.